Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to a new episode of More Than Amuse and Happy New Year. My name is Sadie. And I am Stani. And this is exciting. It's a new year. This is our first episode of the year. Do you do any resolutions or anything like that? Um, no, and like nothing new. You know, like yeah. I always have stuff I'm working on that I could be better at, but I'm not very good at like a new resolution it's just like we're gonna try harder this year (laughs) we're just gonna keep on going and doing our best yeah especially after like last year was like insane for me I'm kind of looking forward to a very like quiet very normal year knock on wood I mean you did so much with like graduating school yeah now you've got a job so it's like I want to just find a good little pattern and let life kind of like even out I don't have to be That's frantically nice. busy anymore. We can just like let it all. Let it all be. Yeah. I'll find its own place. What about you? Any exciting resolutions? Not necessarily, but this is the year where like I just don't know what's going on at all because my husband's applying to law school. That's so right. I have no idea where we're going to be the second half of the year. So for now, it's like, okay, just keep on doing what I'm doing for the next six months and then who knows what's next and who knows where will we move in could be a lot of different places throughout the united states so we'll see that's crazy but exciting like you could end up wow that'll that'll be strange i know (laughs) the goal is nashville Mm -hmm. surprisingly enough i'm sure but we'll see no that'll be cool should we get started yes i'm very excited to learn about who we're learning about today yeah i'm excited too so i actually wrote an essay on this person for my italian renaissance class so that's where all of this is coming from. Um, and her name is Sofonisba Angasola. And I did look up how to say that, so I think it's right. <laughs> but um, she is an Italian painter from the Renaissance who kind of was like, I looked at a lot of stuff and she basically was like one of the first recorded female artists we have. Oh, wow. Yeah, because like obviously before that, a lot of women weren't even written in history books at all. <laughs> um, and so even though probably a lot of like early medieval art was also done by women, we don't have the records of who actually did a lot of the works of art. Like think of cave paintings. They didn't like sign oh, their yeah. name underneath it or anything, you know? Like there's kind of just no way to know. Yeah. So she's one of like the first recorded female artists that we've got. And so she was a major influence, especially to Artemisia Gentowski, who was like the first person I ever covered so yeah yeah, so it was like really cool to kind of see what she did in the career that she had and how that probably influenced like later female artists of her time feels fitting then to like start out the new year with this I know right be like cool she was the first 
And kind of like a little state of the arts, the Renaissance, sure, it's brought up a ton. I feel like people talk about the Renaissance more than probably any other time period. And the Italian Renaissance is specifically where kind of like a lot of that height of the Renaissance was happening. Like I'd say that was like the epicenter of the Renaissance in a lot of ways. Because Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, Botticelli, and you know, like all of those major artists that everyone knows the names of, they were all kind of in that area during that time period. So it was just like a very interesting time for Italy and for the world. That tended to influence gender roles which was really good (laughs) yes which i feel like society was in need of oh very much so um so it was a (laughs) great time for a female artist to be there um there was actually an essay called the role of women in renaissance italy by anna burroughs And this is a quote from her. She said, A change occurred during the Italian Renaissance that was in sharp distinction to traditional humanist thinking. No longer were women inferior in thought and capacity. Rather, societal roles demonstrated that given the appropriate circumstances, women were crucially able to support, mold, and change the politics, culture, and economic fabric of society. The primary female role in the domestic sphere was expanded by notable women who, by virtue of Renaissance education and new societal expectations, became art patrons, writers, orators, and simply women of intellect. Just kind of goes to show that, like, thinking was changing in a way that was allowing women to kind of step outside of those traditional gender roles and become a bigger part of the societal fabric, which is really cool. And um, her dad was, like, a major fan of a lot of that stuff that was coming out too so we'll step back a little bit she was born in 1532 in northwest italy in the town of cremona that's a pretty name yeah i love it and apparently it's like this whole region that kind of functioned as its own little like country for a while because her father was actually like a cremonese nobility and her mother had also come from like a noble family in cremona And her dad was also like a major history buff. They lived right by this battle called the Battle of Trebia. So it was the first major battle of the Second Punic War, which I've like heard a little bit about. But it was like the Carthaginians against Hannibal and like the Battle of the Roman Empire kind of. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I know very little about that, but (laughs) cool. Same, but I'm sure a lot of people out there have studied war history and probably know a lot more about it but her father because of that like sight and his just like major obsession with history all of the Mm -hmm. children were named after carthinian historical figures which is cool because i've like heard of people nowadays like naming their kids after well i guess probably a, a couple decades ago like naming their kids after greek gods and goddesses yeah uh or um there was like a girl growing up where her whole family was named after mountain ranges oh that's cool yeah (laughs) so it's like a theme for your children's names i guess (laughs) i mean i know like there's a lot of people who like all their kids are all the same letter but oh yeah i always thought that would get so confusing I know. And if you have too many kids, like, I feel like you have to get really creative. Um, so, Sophonisba was named after this noblewoman, Sophonisba, wow, <laughs> who convinced the king Syphax to change sides during the war. 
And then later poisoned herself to avoid the Romans like taking over and being able to capture her. And then all of her other sisters were named after different figures as well. And their names were Elena, Lucia, Europa, Minerva, and Anna Maria. And then Mm. she had one brother whose name was Asdrubal. So quite a mouthful for all of those, honestly. I also thought it was cool. I think Europa is one of the names of one of the muses. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. That's cool. So I thought that was really cool, too. Kind of some overlap there. So yeah, five sisters, well, plus Sophonisba. So six girls and one boy in this family of seven children. And like I said, her father was a major fan of like the new Italian Renaissance thinking as well. There was this book at the time that was super popular. It was by Baldessare Castagelone. I'm probably butchering these Italian names. I'm sorry. But um, it was this book called The Book of the Courtier. And it basically discussed like different manners and qualities that like a person has to have in order to fulfill their duties as like a courtier like a noble person surprisingly it also talked a lot about inspiring like women in that same capacity as like a noble person to fulfill these duties of a courtier and like different manners that they had to have and so rather than having all of his daughters stick to just learning like typical household duties because also they were wealthy so they didn't really have a need to like teach their daughters to like clean and cook because they had people doing that for them so instead he taught his daughters science mathematics music the arts and like all these other things that most women at that time period weren't even allowed to think about so it was kind of like a new turn of the century thinking and her dad was totally on board with it and was like yeah let's do this dang (laughs) yeah which is really amazing and it actually led to a lot of talent in his family of course Sophonisba who we're talking about had a particular talent for painting um four of her other sisters actually were also painters throughout their early life but they all kind of ended up tapering off at some point so her other sister elena ended up becoming a nun so she abandoned painting when she went into her there's like Like, a word for it i can't think of what it is anyway when she became a nun i don't know yeah (laughs) and then anna maria and europa um, gave up painting once they got married and lucia ended up dying at a very very early age so she Mm. didn't continue her painting career and then her only sister who didn't end up painting was Minerva. And she was um, kind of obsessed with writing and Latin. So mm. she spent a lot of time writing whatever she was writing and also studying Latin with her brother, who also really loved Latin as well as music. So a very progressive like, family. Yeah, very progressive, very talented. They're learning art and Latin and mathematics and science. And it really made a difference on... Sophonisba's life because she was able to do things from a very young age that a lot of other girls weren't even able to think about their entire lives. She's definitely considered an artistic prodigy because at only age 14 she was already studying professionally (laughs) as an artist which is crazy (laughs) like even with Artemisia Gentowski didn't her dad make her wait until she was like 16 before he allowed her to officially study yeah so this is like really early on and at 14 her father sent Sophonisba and Elena 
to study with Bernardino Campi, who's actually a really well-known artist. Um, and he was like a portrait and religious artist and actually taught at the Renaissance Lombard School. They studied with him until he ended up moving away. And then Sofonisba continued her studies with Bernardino Gatti, another really common popular artist at the time and even today. And then um, studied with him for three years. And during those three years, she ended up painting her first painting that we have like on record. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's really funny, actually. Her first painting was a painting of her teacher painting her. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So it's called Bernardino Campi Painting Sofonisba Angasola. And it shows her teacher painting a portrait of herself. And she painted him painting her, which is really funny. I mean, it's not like there was like a picture of that. I know. (laughs) So she's like standing there painting her teacher while he's painting her, I'm guessing. I don't know. I like it. Okay. (laughs) I think it's really funny. And it's also kind of cool because she got to paint her teacher, but also painted a self-portrait, which is really like a clever way to do that. Yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that was awesome. And then only at age 22, she was traveling to Rome to study and develop her skills as an artist. One of the most notable things about her that's brought up like all of the time is that she met Michelangelo, which... Oh, wow. (sighs) Michelangelo, like people... (laughs) Sometimes I feel like people don't realize how famous these artists were during their lifetime too. Okay, yeah. Like, Michelangelo was, like, a superstar. Like, he was, like, a celebrity. Like, you know, if there was an equivalent of, like, a paparazzi, they would have been following him around all the time. It reminds me of, like, you know how we talked about Lord Byron and how he was, like, yeah, like a superstar uh-huh. poet? Like, people were obsessed with him. Girls were, like, obsessed with him. I yes, feel like he's, like, the original, like, fan boy yes, person. Exactly. And so Michelangelo was kind of that person. I think Mm. there are a lot of... We pretty much know that Michelangelo was gay. So there weren't as many girls that were obsessed with him. But he still had like that superstar quality for practically his entire life. So it was a big deal that she met Michelangelo. That she met Michelangelo. And he actually looked at her sketchbook. And um, she had drawn like this portrait. I think it was of like her little sister laughing. And so he challenged her to draw a boy crying instead because he thought it would be more difficult. And so she took him up on the challenge and finished a sketch and sent it to him in the mail. And it was her younger brother crying next to her older sister. And Mm -hmm. he was so impressed that he ended up sending back feedback. And they were sending sketches and feedback together for years. So she kind of had this like loose mentorship with Michelangelo ever so casually just you know the Michelangelo yeah like he was like her pen pal he's like oh you're really good at this like here I'll give you some tips that's so cool (laughs) so this was really cool because like I mentioned she had like three different male mentors at this time that were Mm -hmm. all really really well-known artists like she has Michelangelo as like a pen pal and then she has Bernardino Campi as like her official tutor and before that um, she she had Bernardino Campi, and then she also has Bernardino Gatti. Apparently, Bernardino was like the Joe. And because there were so many like prominent male artists accepting of like this young girl learning art, if that makes sense, this like really set the precedent for 
future female artists in a way that wasn't done because it was allowing people to see that like a noble woman could study art without ruining her reputation (laughs) and like it was just fine yeah and it also started to become like like a respectable and even like desired skill in like a future wife Mm because apparently like the assumption was that art would make you a more refined woman it would Mm. like allow you to have more matches in a marriage (laughs) okay and also be a more accomplished wife so you know if you're thinking about going to art school there's some things to consider there yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) a more refined woman you'll have more likely to get married and (laughs) be a more accomplished wife so and this is a lot of it is because of Sophonisba and Gasola because she was able to receive more attention from those prominent male artists uh-huh. it gave more of a reputation to art at the time for women and it's like so cool that it really did start because her father was just super on board with critical thinking yeah I guess. <laughs> he was like huh you know this book made me think that maybe my daughters actually have brains maybe we should yeah, explore like, this maybe we should allow them to use their brains i don't know <laughs> however one of the major differences from like later artists like even artemisia Gentowski, sophonisba wasn't allowed to officially accept commissions oh yeah because that was considered improper um because she was allowed to be an artist, but more as a hobby, if that makes sense. Mm, so it's like, we haven't crossed all the barriers here yeah. yet. They're like, you can't do it professionally, but because you're rich and you don't have to work for a living, this can be like your thing, you know? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And also she like, wasn't able to draw. This can be fun for you. And also she wasn't allowed to study from anatomical models. Um, oh. which I mean obviously is stupid but that continued for like a, a long really time. long time like we were even talking about the women who studied in the Bajas weren't even able to study oh I forgot models. that even in the Bajas wow yeah so this it's kind of a long-standing thing that they're like women cannot draw nude men <laughs> so but like men could draw nude women couldn't they they could but they actually weren't allowed to like hire a nude Oh, I remember because then their depictions of naked women were like so weird in comparison to like an actual woman. Didn't Artemisia like actually, was it Artemisia that? Yes. We talked about this with her. So like she used her own body Uh and that's why her anatomical figures are so accurate compared to like other people at the time. Because yeah, we talked about how like a lot of the male artists at that time had really muscular women. (laughs) Yeah, because they couldn't actually look at women. Okay, I remember this now. I know a lot of other male artists that, like, did really well. They used, like, their wives. Like, once they got married, they would be like, hey, will you model for me? Like, I'll change your face, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that works. (laughs) But uh, for the most part, men had a really hard time as well, like, drawing anatomical figures of women because it was really hard. I also think that's why babies were so weird looking. Because mm. if it was, like, a single man who didn't have, like, kids in his life, then, like, he's drawing a baby. Like, he doesn't know like what a baby looks look like. he doesn't look at babies a lot. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because if you've ever seen some of those, like, early Renaissance portraits of, like, baby Jesus, they look weird. Yeah, they're pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. Some of them, yeah. And it's not like they could Google, like, baby. <laughs> That's true. They had to, like, completely rely. And I'm sure, like, it probably wasn't, like, a profession for babies to come and be modeled no i don't think so at all that's interesting i actually haven't thought about that i don't even know if like modeling nude was considered a profession 
yeah. I think they probably just all used each other. They'd be like, hey, dude, like, you're a painter. I need an atom. Like, come lay here for a minute. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't even know if they were, like, paying nude models necessarily. I wonder. Anyone listening knows. Yeah. I'll do some research. I'll report back. <laughs> the career of nude modeling. But, yeah, back to Sophonie's back. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Anyway. So, it's okay. Because she wasn't able to draw anatomical models or have commissions, she didn't end up doing, like, historical or religious scenes. Because that's what was com- being commissioned. Yes. That was what was popular at the time, especially through commissions. And I think it's kind of cool looking at Artemisia later and, like, seeing how she was able to take, like, the historical religious scenes from the Bible kind of with her own brain and then, like, come up with her own stuff mm-hmm. and building off of that. So th- it shows progression right there that even a couple of years later, like, Artemisia was able to do stuff that Sophonisba wasn't able to. So I think that's yeah. really cool. But Sophonisba found her own little niche and chose to create, like, portraits of, like, close family and friends and then gave them a lot of the times as gifts. And Mm. not only did it help develop her talents, but it also, like, helped get her name out there because then, like, friends and family were like, oh, thank you. Like, and then when they had a portrait of their family hanging on the wall and then their next door neighbor comes over and is like, oh, that's beautiful. Who did it? And then they could say, oh, Sophonisba Angasola. And that's where one of her it's pretty much her most famous painting like if you type in her name this is the painting that comes up it was just a portrait of her sisters but it's so beautifully done it's a portrait of three of her sisters and the family's maid and two of her sisters are playing chess while the maid like pokes her head in and then the little sister is just watching it's just you know like snapping a picture of your siblings playing a game but it's beautifully detailed like it's so pretty the dresses that they have on like you can see all of the embroidery and all the details she has them wearing jewelry she has braids in their hair which I think was the traditional style at the time they have like little pearls and everything in their hair too like it is so beautifully detailed like I said it's the maid Giovanna and then her three sisters Lucia Minerva and Europa playing chess which is just really pretty. Um, Mm -hmm. Something that's kind of cool is that (laughs) the mountains in the background aren't actually there in real life from where she was painting it. So it was in her family's like garden, but she like added in her own background, (laughs) which I think is really cool because I think it probably would have just been trees. And instead she added like a beautiful mountain place and like a lake in the very back. Oh yeah. Um, And that was just from her own head. And then there's just like a very playful spirit about it, a very intricate detail, just really beautiful colors that kind of became her style and what she was known for. Even a friend who visited their family's home saw the portrait and said that the the figures, the three sisters, appeared truly alive and are wanting for nothing save speech. Wow. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. So he was like, this is so realistic. They look beautiful which is incredible we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists okay so my artist spotlight is a tiktok account she also has an instagram but it's mainly for books so she does like book reviews but the reason i started following her on tiktok is she does this really cool thing where she makes collages out of the New York Times n- newspaper every week. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, and her um, handle is All the Rad Reads. All the Rad Reads. Her name oh, is Rachel. Oh, I'm following them. Yeah. I followed her for her book recommendations. So oh, now cool. I'm excited to stalk her and find the collages. <laughs> yeah. So she has a ton of book recommendations. Um, it looks like she also does bullet journaling, which I'm a huge fan of. But mm-hmm. the way that I found her is she does these newspaper collages. So every week she takes the New York Times and does a collage based on what's in the newspaper. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And she just recently did like her end of year like flip through where she Mm -hmm. showed the entire thing. And it was so cool. It was like all of 2021 in New York Times collages. Oh, cool. And of course, there's tons of headlines about COVID. But then also like the artwork and everything else of it. It like it was so cool to look at. And she just has it all in one book. Mm-hmm. And it I don't know, it was like a fun, exciting way to kind of think about like the news or like just being creative in a way that doesn't really require a bunch of like expensive materials or anything. Like she just takes the newspaper every week and like makes a work of art. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And like some of them she says she hates. But that's what she does. You know, like sometimes she just gets through it. And then other times she has a lot of fun with it. And I just thought that was a really fun way to do something like that. Yeah, so unique. Also, like even just like looking at her account, I just think it's so cool. And this is why I love TikTok because it just like showcases the way like people in their everyday life are creative. Mm -hmm. You know, like part of her life is bullet journaling and books And, like, she probably did this stuff before she shared it on social media. And, like, that's what I think is so cool about TikTok because I think it makes it so easy for people to just, like, share what they're already doing in their life to be creative. And, like, I mean, all, like, the people on TikTok who are, like, here's how to grow your TikTok will be, like, find your niche. But, like, I love it when people don't and they just post every aspect of their life on there. I mean, not every aspect, obviously but you know what I mean like it's just cool to see that exactly it reminds me of you know I did a spotlight on that girl who's doing like the birthday card poems yeah like her ex gave her a birthday card so something else that's really funny is she also um rates the guy who plays vision in oh the marvel vision guy I know who you're talking about yes um, she like goes through and rates his Instagram posts at the end of every month and like talks about him. And this month she like recreated all of his posts, but using her for her Instagram. So funny because every time one of those videos happens, there's like people who are like, oh, I forgot that this girl was also the birthday card girl. And it's like, she yeah. doesn't have two things that are completely different, but like exist yeah. on the same platform in the same way. Or, like, like, the fact that I followed her for your her book reviews, but, like, yeah, you know, you followed her for something totally New different. York Times collages. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Exactly. It's just cool. Social media, man. What a cool place. I know. I like it. All right. So, for my artist, last week or two weeks ago, we did Bakers, but I'm going to do another one just because my big dream in life is to be able to bake beautiful cakes. So... This is Eat Cake and Eat Cake Be Merry is the name of this Instagram account. Her name is Liz Shim, I believe. She is a cake artist, content creator, and an online instructor, which I tell you, one day I will bake beautiful cakes. I don't think it will be this year. It is not in this year's resolution list, but one day in my life I will be able to make beautiful cakes. But like she does have beautiful 
just beautiful cakes and frostings and cupcakes and cookies and they're so cute a lot of it lately has been winter themed as is you know the and spirit adorably winter themed yeah and even just like these cookies of little champagne bottles they're so yeah, cute so cute i'm obsessed with the winter hat cake yeah i was just gonna say yeah. like the little cotton ball on top it looks so good <laughs> so cute and so like i said fun. she does teach and a lot of her tiktoks like even just in her reels not her reels in her highlights excuse me for her stories like there's things on color tips and just all these different educational things so you know what's really cool sorry this is really quick but she does a lot of like cakes the size of cupcakes yeah and like frosts uh the whole thing instead of Mm -hmm. just the top even that's like a fun idea like why have i never frosted the entire cupcake and made it like a tiny little cake also the amount of skill it takes to create frosting that's the same shade as a pantone color (laughs) honestly (laughs) not to be underestimated folks and she has a lot of those where she's mixing pantone colors out of frosting so that in itself could be an entire (laughs) instagram yeah (laughs) so yes go check her out again like i said the instagram is eat cake be merry so fun we love that all right now back to the show So her reputation just continued to expand in her own area, and then it made it far enough that when she was 26 years old, King Philip II of Spain asked her to join his royal court and mentor the young 14-year-old Queen Elizabeth in painting and serve as her lady of waiting. Wow. Yeah, which is a big deal. (laughs) So she became an artist in residence for 14 years in the court of Spain, um, tutoring the queen and then later on the queen's two daughters in painting. And during this time, ended up creating portraits of practically the entire royal family, which is really cool. That's Um, probably like the only way she could get any type of commission. You know, I feel like that's like the only way she could have worked as an artist then. That's so cool. Yeah. He was like, come be a lady in waiting. We'll pay you for being a lady in waiting and you can paint. (laughs) But you'll also be an artist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because he wasn't officially allowed to hire her as an artist. So they got around it, um, which is wonderful. And it really shows her progression because she was able to create much more elaborate portraits of, like, these royal figures because they wanted, yeah. like, really fancy portraits that she wouldn't have been able to do for, like, her family and friends because, like, the subject matter wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's really cool. Kind of, like, a funny way around them having her be, like, the court painter without actually being the court painter was they had to hire another guy to like be the official court painter um interesting yeah so that he like filled the position but then they had her actually doing the duties which is so messed up however he kind of was like her assistant and she ended up tutoring him a lot because she had a lot more years of experience at this point than he did um she'd been painting since she was 14 and his name was Alonzo Sanchez Coelho. It's just kind of funny, but what ended up happening, which kind of sucks as like an aftermath of all of this, is that because their styles and subjects were so similar and she didn't have the official title of like court painter and he did, a lot of her paintings were attributed to him. Oh, but I mean like 
she's the one who taught him so. yeah exactly oh. but because the records didn't match like historically when people found paintings yeah. and they're like oh it's the style then they would be like oh, oh it's, it's probably coelho and they're like wait a second no it's not um Dang. yeah which like i actually found out in my research the artemisia Gentowski's painting susanna and the elders that we talked about that was actually misattributed to her father for a really long time because she painted it when she was only 17 and she oh, signed it Gentowski. Yeah. And so they assumed it was her dad. And then another one of hers also was attributed to her after being mislabeled as the work of one of her father's students. So it was oh, like wow. a really common thing back then when you had so many artists working closely with one another with similar style styles. And the yeah. women weren't, like, officially on record as, like, an artist at that time. Mm-hmm. Then a lot of their paintings ended up in the wrong areas. <laughs> and, like, not even, like, um, like with ill will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it seems like a lot of it was just, like, honest mistakes of, like, assuming, oh, well, that would be them. But it's, like, no. Like, actually, there were just a lot of people other people that were very much behind the scenes exactly it's like they see a portrait of philip ii they're like oh this matches coelho's style and he was the official court painter at the time so it's so, like, it would make sense yeah. yeah and then it's like wait a second no it wasn't Dang. so luckily um even though it's been misattributed for three centuries they figured out it was her and they fixed it <laughs> so That's so cool yeah, and they've been going through Coelho's work and a lot of other artists that were in that area at the time and making sure that everything is correct. Yeah, which is Dang. really good. But kind of brings up that point again that like there's probably tons and tons and tons of paintings from history that are misattributed to men that were done by women. So after her like stint in the Spanish court, um, Queen Elizabeth, who at this point was like a really dear friend of hers, obviously, she like watched her grow up helped her paint like basically helped her raise two daughters because who knows what kings did at that time but i doubt it was babysitting (laughs) but queen elizabeth ended up passing away in 1568 um which was really young i i think i read that it was kind of like cancer but i don't really know Mm. i can't really remember i could be wrong but she died really young but the king kind of is like a thank you to Angasola is that like he wanted to get her married off because at this point she's almost 40 years old she's never been married um and as like a lady in waiting I don't know if you could get married yeah I'm I don't know or maybe she just didn't have a desire I don't know but it is unusual that she wasn't married yeah like Like, she she was a career woman without being married yeah um So she didn't really want to remain in the Spanish court anymore and just kind of like hurt a little bit too much without like Queen Elizabeth there. It's like Mm -hmm. losing your best friend and then you're like, okay, I don't want to live in her house anymore, you know? (laughs) So the king was like, okay, let's find you a suitable match. And he paid um, 12,000 scudi as a dowry for her marriage to Fabrizio Mancato Pignatelli. What a name. I know. He was a nobleman, obviously, with a name like yes. that. I don't understand dowries. Glad we don't do that anymore. Um, Me too. <laughs> here, I'm going to pay you to marry my daughter. Okay, anyway, so they moved out of the court, obviously. And then um, the king, on top of that dowry, he also continued to pay Sophonisba a stipend. 
Oh, cool. Which was really nice in order for her to continue, like, painting and teaching art, which is Mm -hmm. super nice of him. So he, like, really valued her career and was like, here, like, I'll pay you a monthly stipend so you can keep doing this. this. In 1579, her husband died in a pirate attack. A pirate attack? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I was shocked. He was on a boat. A pirate attacked the ship. And oh my gosh. He died. Yeah. That's horrifying. Which is absolutely nuts. So she didn't have any like finances left really at this point. She had her stipend from the king, but that's like not enough to live off of. It was enough to uh-huh. like buy art supplies. And her in-laws weren't like her biggest fans. From what I read, it wasn't really like a love marriage. It was like a marriage of convenience because the king was like, here you go, you know? So they were only married for 11 years, which is like a long time. But like, I don't know. If he was like a noble man and she was like teaching art, I doubt they spent that much time together really either. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, kind of funny enough, um, she was taking a ship to travel back to her family in Cremona to go live with them again after her husband died. And mm-hmm. she met the captain of the ship named Rosio Lamolino, and they fell in love. Wow. <laughs> and it was two years after her husband's death when this happened. So she like waited it out for a while. But like they fell in love on the boat. Um, mm-hmm. Her family was really upset about it, especially her brother. He was like, You cannot marry the captain of a ship. That is so inappropriate. You are a woman of noble birth. What are you doing? Oh, and okay. She didn't care. And they got married anyway and lived in Genoa. And he actually was a very rich captain from all of his like trading and sailing the seas. I was going to say, like, I can't imagine he's like poor if he's the captain of a ship. No, he had like a large fortune. <laughs> so Interesting. She was set. And on top of that, the king was continuing to pay her stipend. So she spent pretty much all day painting still, even being married to the captain of a ship. So I don't know why her family was mad, because he was rich. And because of her time in the Spanish court, um, her reputation was really great. And so um, she got visited by a lot of young artists who wanted advice or to learn from her about her different techniques. And she continued to like teach art. And also just like really experiment with her artwork. She even moved on to some religious subjects and just experimented a lot with like what she was painting and all of that. Sadly, only a few years later, because at this point she's like, so she was 53 when she got married the second time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so only a few more years after that, her eyesight started to get really bad. Mm-hmm. Which just sucks because when you're an artist, there's nothing you rely on more than your eyes. Your literal eyes. Yeah. yeah. Which is so sad. And so instead of like being able to continue painting, um, she wasn't able to just because her eyes were getting so bad. And mm-hmm. so she became a patron of the arts and um, bought a lot of paintings from young artists around her and went and gave advice and imparted her wisdom to them. Um, there was a famous Flemish artist named Anthony Van Dyck, and he came to visit her and wrote down all the advice that she gave him as they were talking, and then even ended up painting a portrait of her, which is the very last surviving painting that we have of her. And in his journal, he remarked about, even though her eyesight was weak, he claimed that he learned more from Angasola about the true princi- principles of painting and their conversation than anything else 
had taught him in his life. Wow. Sadly, she didn't make it much longer. In 1625, she died at age 93, which is really old. I was going to say, that's really old, though. Yeah. That's, well, like, old for nowadays. I know. And that was while they were living in Palmer- Palmero. And her husband, who was still alive, um, seven years later, in order to honor her 100th birthday, um, had a message inscribed on her tomb that said to Sophonisba, my wife, who is recorded among the illustrious women of the world, outstanding in portraying the images of man, Orazio wow. Lamanillo in sorrow for the loss of his great love in 1632. Wow. Etiquetted this little tribute to such a great woman. And that's what he had written on there. So, Aww. yeah, he really loved her. I wonder if he was, like, significantly younger than her. Like, maybe that's why the family opposed so much. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't say anything about his age. Now I wonder. But, yeah, really cool that she had such a legacy. And there's even artists later who wrote about the impact that she had. Um, There was a female artist named Lavinia Fontana who wrote in a 1579 letter that after Mm -hmm. she saw one of Angasola's portraits... Both her and her friend, Irie de Spilmaburgo, set their hearts on learning how to paint. And so they ended up going into painting as well. It also, like, her reputation really broke down the idea that women weren't capable of great artistic creation. Because she, like, literally painted the whole Spanish court. And then people were like, oh, wow, she's really good at this. Which really made a big difference, especially, like I said, for artists like Olivia Fontana, who wrote that letter, Fede Galiza, Barbara Longhi, and Artemisia Gentowski. So one of the things I read that was really cool is that they said more than any of her greatest paintings and Gasolo's greatest creation is perhaps the seeds she was able to plant in the minds of prominent men and women that women could be great artists and were worthy of a little more time and attention when it came to their artistic pursuits. So just an incredible, fascinating woman who definitely was extremely talented and then helped set a precedent for future female artists to come forward and be able to also accomplish a lot in their time periods. And like also too, it's, I mean, I don't know how much, I don't know who actually thinks this, but then here's just like the evidence of anyone's like, if anyone were to say to you, like, oh, there just weren't great women artists, that's why they we don't have them. It's like, no, they they did, but, like, she wasn't allowed to take on commissions and, like, imagine, like, maybe the work that could have been preserved that she did had it been a norm for her to take those on. So, like... Exactly. Every crazy. time we, like, talk about a person, I'm reminded so much of our, like, why have there been no great women artists and that mm-hmm. essay. And just, like, if the environment doesn't allow it, then it won't happen. It it won't happen, yeah. And, like, it can happen a little bit. Like, obviously, she had a lot of amazing accomplishments even within the environment that she was in. But, like, it's not quite the same as, you know, like, Michelangelo because she could not do the same things that Michelangelo was even doing because she wasn't being commissioned to do the Sistine Chap, did Michelangelo? Yes, he did. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you know what I mean? Like, she couldn't be commissioned to do those things and to make those paintings that would be on, you know, legendary architectures forever. Exactly. And it's even, like, funny when you think about the fact that Michelangelo wasn't a painter. He was a sculptor. And they still were like, hey, come paint the Sistine Chapel. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, like, 
she is definitely like she reached the top of what her environment allowed and then that was the furthest mm-hmm. she was able to go but yeah. she helped like push that environment in a lot of ways to allow future women to have more mm-hmm. of an impact which is a really Amazing. incredible thing it's also really cool like so Artemisia Gentoski like when I first heard her name it was the first time I heard it but yeah um, she actually gets talked about a lot more often nowadays um, she's brought up in quite a few things when people mention female artists um, since starting the podcast we followed a lot of like other female art thing I've noticed that Artemisia comes up a ton but I have noticed that she tends to be one of the earliest examples and then it immediately skips to like Frida Kahlo and mm-hmm. you know like a lot of those later artists when there are a lot of earlier ones that are still not getting a lot of recognition yeah so it was really cool to kind of like dig into her life and realize that even before Artemisia like there were women still doing and like work. because of what these women did it like laid the foundations for an environment that Artemisia could have more success actual success in so exactly yeah and it just makes me grateful because it's like think of how many female artists and like musicians for you like had to go before you and like push the envelope just a little bit further every single time in yeah. order for us to be able to have the freedom that we have today yeah it's just cool like each generation was just kind of like pushing it a little bit more and more yeah until exactly. it became not so outrageous yeah and so it's kind of cool too because then it also like lays the groundwork for like kind of our role as artists it's like oh it's just yeah. to like push it even further like what's left to make sure that we make our you know make put the groundwork down for the next generation even the next generation of like how can we make it even yeah that's a good point yeah I just love it (laughs) me too (laughs) art history man so cool I know I never thought in my life I would know so much about art history in this sense but here we are happy to be here (laughs) no and I actually like So something that's been really cool (laughs) is that I've noticed in my last semesters of my art history classes, Mm -hmm. I just knew a lot more stuff about time periods and people than I ever had in any of the previous semesters. And it was because of this podcast. Yeah, 100%. I have to tell you on my final exam, one of the like Madonna and child ones came up that you had talked about no way and because you had mentioned the artist literally that week when i took the quiz i was like oh i know exactly who that is <laughs> wow and i could even write like oh madonna is in her traditional blue and white and like talk about what was happening in the painting because you're like oh yeah we talked about this on my podcast exactly this week. so it's like oh i researched this and even like i'll be out and about and i'll like see something and i'll be like oh yeah like that's a hill off clint piece and my mom's oh, like yeah. what on earth are you talking about and i'm like oh <laughs> she's a female artist from like <laughs> this area and this is what she did and everything and she's like how do you know that and like we did it well, on the podcast <laughs> that's what my uh brother-in-law like brought his girlfriend to christmas you know mm-hmm. something and someone mentioned that, like oh yeah and sadie has a podcast and i was like yeah so if you ever need some like obscure fact about female artists like I'm your gal like it's very niche but I randomly will know things that nobody else really knows about exactly it's actually like really fun though I really yeah, enjoyed it, is it. Really fun. and I hope it's the same for everyone who's listening too that you find like yourself 
catching on to some things like that like a lot more than yeah cool well I feel like this is a perfect this was a perfect artist to start the year off of like I said like literally so foundational so what a great pick thank you Stani of course happy my essay could help (laughs) I know (laughs) that art history degree was good for something right right I know yeah, and it will be fun as we move forward. We have a lot of really fun podcast episodes planned for Oh yeah, I'm excited. The rest of the year. And just something like we're really trying to grow the podcast. It's kind of a major focus for the year. And so if yes. you just have someone in your life that you think would enjoy this, even if they're not an artist, I feel like it's just fun. You know, like none of us mm-hmm. are like criminal profilers and yet so many people <laughs> listen to true crime. True. <laughs> so just share it with a friend. Share it with someone you know. Of course, we're welcoming to male listeners as well. So just anyone, your husband, your brother, your cousin, like whoever you think would Whoever you listen. think would be interested. Check it out. But yeah. we sure love what we're doing. We do. So just share it with anyone you think would love to hear it. And we'll be back again on Monday. Yes, we will. Be back next week with a new artist that we're going to talk about. I'm excited for next week's episode. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.